Hello again, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. It's Ingenuity Amplified by Context Air. This podcast is hosted by Gabe Batstone and sometimes Carl Byers from the world of artificial intelligence and digital transformation. In each episode, we feature guests who are smart, successful people who care about people and not just bottom lines. I'm your co-host, Steve Warren, along with Gabe Batstone, who's the CEO of Context Air. And Gabe is back in the house with us today. How are things, Gabe? Good. You know, Carl got to run wild on his own episode talking about Madison. So that was uh, that was great because I genetically can't listen to any of these because listening to myself speak is just abhorrent and horrible. So I actually got to listen to one of our podcasts because I wasn't on it. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. And and maybe I shouldn't be on it ever. But Troy gives me a good reason to come back. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, we are joined by Troy Welch. And I'll give you his biography, which was presented to me in point form here. So it'll sound a little maybe uh, funky, but he's a uh, command sergeant major retired director NCO and soldier programs, and now at the Association of the United States Army. Have I got that right, Troy? That's good. Sounds good to me. Excellent. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to the show, and thank you for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, you know, and unfortunately, Gabe has to be on here, too, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we all tolerate what we must. That's right. <laughs> So out of the gate, when Gabe jumped on, and this is a, what we know as the show preamble here, when Gabe came on, I had to give him a hard time because I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and on Monday night, uh, the night before we record here, uh, my Packers took down his Bears, and now I feel like he wants to go at you for your choice of football teams, Troy. Uh, the QB situation was going. You know, he did pull off a win, but that's, uh, that's a little bit of a tough, uh, tough go yesterday. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't aired where I'm at, you know, naturally. Um, but, yeah, losing Lance is, you know, not a good thing. But, you know, look at Jimmy G. He stepped up and took the win, right? So yep, you can't actually complain. You got a W. Can't, can't complain. Can't, and, and against Seattle. So that's a division win. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. All right. See, even 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 when something bad happens to the 49ers, it's still better than anything the Bears do. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's the NFL talk out of the way. But let's get into things here, gentlemen. And uh, why do we find out, first of all, Troy, about uh, how you and Gabe met? Oh, wow. That's a long, long time ago, back in 2006, 2007, somewhere in that area. All right, let's just edit that out. It wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we met at a conference somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it was, but um, yeah. It was at Birmingham, Alabama. I think it was at one of those Department of in symposiums yeah, or maybe you know, it was think, in Reno. Like I, you know, I have recollections of us having beer in a variety of places. Yeah. Um, and, and two of them early on, uh, one is Birmingham, Alabama, and the other is uh, Reno, Nevada. I think um, it was Reno. I think you're right. I think for one of the maintenance things, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I was still on active duty. I was in the army G4 at the time. Yeah. And that's when we first met and yeah, been friends ever since. Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah. You work, working in the Pentagon, which was uh, which yeah. is super cool, and and now what became you know kind of historic and much of your career is is pretty historic when you think about it and the access that you've gotten. But you know you worked for you know at the time I think she was a major general, but eventually became first three star. Did she get her four star? Yeah, she became the first four star and Dunwoody. So that's pretty cool. You know, following her career along. So one of the 
premises of the podcast is that Carl, uh, who you also know, and myself have been very fortunate, is that in our day-to-day lives of, of working in technology and being a context there now, we get to meet these amazing people that other people don't know, right? And it's kind of like, hey, people that other, I wish other people knew, right? Because they just have great stories and they've had such an impact on the, on the world in, in their uh, in their scope of things. And so obviously, you know, you fall into that category, but I'd say we probably have a mix of kind of people who understand the military and all the acronyms that we like to talk about and those who don't. So maybe but, if you could two minutes, uh, because it's actually super impressive, right? Is, is, you know, what, what's a command sergeant major? Okay. So command sergeant major is the, is the highest enlisted rank. It's a nine, the highest enlisted rank you can achieve in the army. Um, and normally as a command sergeant major, you're married up with a battalion commander, which is a lieutenant colonel, and a brigade commander, which is a full colonel, and then you get into the general officer ranks. And you're the senior enlisted advisor to that commander as a CSM. So all enlisted affairs uh, kind of funnel through that CSM, you know, up from the units to the CSM, and then the CSM kind of keeps the, the commander uh, abreast of what's going on in the, in the command on the enlisted side of the house. Pretty cool spot, right? Because yeah. as I learned from you, right, you just you have knowledge of all these things, right? Because you kind of have everything that's going on on the ground, plus all the strategic stuff, right, that the generals do and, and talk about. And I, you know, I found that uh, uh, pretty fascinating and, and pretty impressive. And you know, one of my personal mentors is uh, is General George Jowlin, uh, yeah. you know, who is uh, you know four star Army general, you know, former Supreme Allied Commander uh, for NATO in Europe, and. When you're called the Supreme Allied Commander, things have gone well in your career. Like, that's just, yeah, <laughs> like, like, I, I need that, that pretty title. much says it, right? Yeah. I just want to be that. I want to be anything after Supreme as right, a cool title. Like, so can you <laughs> be like the Supreme Founder of Context Air? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I got to think about this. This has potential. So, I think you know, one of the takeaways is it isn't just the familiarity of calling someone a sergeant major, but I think it's the kind of that sign of respect and the importance of the position in the same way that. When I see General Jowlin, who's a retired general, I always call him general, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, so I think it's, uh, uh, pretty impressive. And I think many would argue that, you know, getting to become a command sergeant major is, uh, you know, about as prestigious a thing you can do on either side of the shop, right? In, in the military. So, um, so yeah, less than cool. 1% of the army, right? Less than 1% of the army, uh, reaches that rank. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you get there, You've obviously done something right, or you're really good faking it. You know, really good. Yeah. <laughs> you are the best faker, which is a talent in itself. So. That's right. Yeah. So maybe uh, you've had a long. We'd have to have like a weeks long podcast to talk about all the cool stuff you did in the army. But what are a couple of things? I know you know when we worked together, Korea came up often as kind of something a post that really meant something to you. You know, what were kind of some of the the, the stuff that left a mark after many decades of of making a difference? Well, you know, first, just as, as for those who don't know my background, which most people don't, is I came to the Army as a food service guy. I was a cook. So to get to the rank of, of, of SAR major is a feat in itself in, in my field because there's very, very few. But then to make CSM at the time was basically unheard of. I was one of two who got picked up um, for, for command SAR major. Uh, so that was a memorable mark in my career in itself. Um, but then to, uh, you brought up Korea. So to get to Korea and start off there as a brigade, as I mentioned earlier, that's working for a Colonel and then going to a two star position in Korea. And then ultimately ended up at the four star position working for the, 
the commander of United Nations Command, Combined Forces Command, United States Forces Korea. And then I had one more title tagged on to me, which was the Sergeant Major of 8th Army. Um, so I wore all four hats. Uh, that was um, probably the highlight of, one of the highlights, I should say, of my career. And then being selected as the first Army G-Force Army Ranger in the Pentagon, so previously there hadn't been one. Um, so to be able to be selected for that position, um, which is the G-4 is uh, the logistical hub for all, everything logistics within the Army. So you're looking at about a $400 billion enterprise, you know, uh, just taking care of all the logistical stuff in the Army. So I, I would have to say that, you know, as I wound up, you know, my career winded down, you know, those two positions um, really were the highlight. Yeah. I mean, to go from cook, that's yeah. incredible. Like, so we, how would you describe yourself at that point? Were just opportunities presenting themselves one at a time all the way up the ladder as you ascended? Or like, would you describe yourself as super ambitious at that stage? Well, you know, working in a dining hall, you know, um, and then as the senior you get, um, you end up running them and then you end up managing or overseeing, I should say, um, a number of them as what they call the installation food advisor, if you will. Right. So, um, and it really started uh, happening when I was in Germany, you know, they had the drawdown in Europe. And so all the dining halls that we had in our footprint um, were farmed off to other units because of the drawdown. And so I was asked to take over as the first sergeant, right? So first sergeant is the head is the senior enlisted guy to the company commander of a company. Um, but this company was a little bit unusual because everybody was coming to Nuremberg. So we ended up, you know, six, 700 people in a company, which is huge. Um, and as an E8, so I was a master sergeant at the time. And the sergeant major got pulled out because of the drawdown. So the battalion commander, that 05, reached down and grabbed me to come up to be the sergeant major as a master sergeant. So that's where I got where I got my first job, if you will, outside of a dining facility, outside of the food service world. And, you know, I was, you know, to say I wasn't scared, I'd be stupid to say that, you know, not, not, you know, get going into out of your comfort zone, really a, like a fish out of water, if you will. Um, but, you know, you hit it head on and I charged at it and just never looked back. You know, I uh, left there and went to Fort Polk and came out on the SAR major list, went to the academy, again, got picked up for CSM. And once you do that, you know, you're no longer in the food service area anymore. Right. So it was um, not being, not being afraid, but not being so afraid. I didn't take the job. You know, I, uh, I, I knew I could do it and just went at it and it ended up paying off in the long run. <laughs> that sure did. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's one of the things I find, you know, I, I still thinking about this podcast, right? Gets me thinking about kind of my early days of defense, right? Because I don't have a defense background, though. You know, most people who don't know me now, right? I'm some sort of aerospace and defense guy or guru. And it's like, like, you know, I have no family in the military. You know, I have no, you know, nothing to do with it until really right around the time I met you. Uh, and so it was like kind of you and General Jowlin were really my mentors 
and introductions into this world, right? And and talk about no greater mentors, right? Than a command sergeant major and a four-star general. You know, you're doing something. I'm, you know, I was like, I must have done something right to get myself in that position where that was possible. <laughs> and and you you know, I learned so much about the military. And and two things kind of stand out, you know, based on on what you just said. One was, you know, the military is just a microcosm of society, and particularly when you talk about the U.S. military because of the scale and scope of it, right? You know, they yeah. do everything. You build hospitals. You have dining facilities. You have fast food chains. You have you build bridges. You build business buildings. You build. You know, we all think about the warfighter, right? And, right. and again, that you know, at the tip of the spear, right? You know, but the the guys who you know pull triggers, right, are actually a very small fraction of the overall force, right? In in any military, not just the American. Oh, and exactly. it's that. Yeah, it's the logistics that actually separate winning from losing in, in reality, right? Is, is, you know, and I remember oh. those are some of those things you learn, you know, it's like, what are the, I can't remember, you know, what are the first three things you need? And, and a weapon wasn't one of them, you know, it was water, right. <laughs> communication, and shelter. Right. You know, yeah, the, you yeah. know and, and, you know, bullets and stuff that shows up later. Right. And and wars are one logistics and Ukraine is probably a great demonstration of that. It's, it's by oh, far, absolutely. right. You know, Russians inability to do any logistics with the competence of a grade three is really the problem. They have way more people, they have way more weapons, but, but they have no logistics. So that was the interesting. And then getting back to Steve's comment, like you started in food service, which is just amazing, right? Just showing like you just go. And if you work hard and you do good things, good things happen, but the scale and scope of food service is crazy, right? Like that's complex stuff, right? Like that, that is not, should not be meant to diminish how important and how hard the food service industry is within the military. And like I'll never forget, they always playing hockey and doing my undergrad at Ryerson, right? And I'm a good hockey player playing at Maple Leaf Gardens. And and so we would play the NCA teams a couple of times a year and we went to West Point as our team. And so one of the most striking things there, other than like the pregame brawl, which was pretty cool, um, but the most striking <laughs> off ice things that happened during that time was you know, when you go to visit another school, they treat you very well. Right. And I would say the army did it, you know, next level at West Point, you know, tickets to the football game. But one thing is like, we first got there, we'll give you a tour of West Point before you have lunch. Right. So we go and they walk in, they walk us to the dining hall and, and they say, yeah. And they say, before we go in, just watch this. And we're like, it's weird. Like, why the hell am I going to watch a dining hall? This is like these Americans, whatever. Okay. So (laughs) let's watch people eat. Yeah. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. And, And then you watch, 5,000 people within less than two minutes walk into a building and less than 20 minutes later. So we're all talking about how many people go to school here, right? Mm -hmm. And less than 20 minutes later, they all walked out completely fed. And we're like, what just happened? How could you, how could you possibly (laughs) feed 5,000 people at the exact same time in 20 minutes, right? Like uh, it was amazing. And then you go eat the food. And by the way, Really good food. Like there, nobody should have any special days for for uh, anyone at West Point. That was some good food. That right, is, uh, they're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, um, they do all right. Yeah. So, but it's pretty amazing, you know, the scope and the scale of the of the U.S. military um, and any military, you know, who does that. But the U.S. is obviously, you know, the big guy in that arena. Now, you know, you've tra- maybe to transition, you know, at some point we should probably talk about how you managed to get me to go to Afghanistan. That's a whole separate issue. And, and then, I went, <laughs> then I went back again. So that's, which is a whole separate issue. We can discuss when my wife's not in the room. Um, but, um, but other than getting me to go to Afghanistan, uh, you're at AUSA now. And I, and I think as I was, again, thinking about the show, a lot of people think of AUSA as the show. 
right? You know, the right. they don't actually think. And, and Steve, for your uh, for your context, one of the largest military trade shows in the world, I would argue, is AUSA. It's usually a kind of in the fall time frame, and people from all over the world, you know, come to this show, which shows innovation and technology and and weapons and and you name it. Um, but obviously, there's much more than AUSA. So I thought we should at least give you a few minutes to talk about AUSA because I think it's a, an important organization. Yeah, so that, yeah, that is the largest land power um, symposium in, in all of, well, we think at least all North America, and, and one could argue probably the world. Um, but, yeah, you're right. When you when, when you mention AUSA, it's, well, you have the big show in October. But we have 121 chapters around the world, um, and we're roughly just borderline. I think I have to look at the numbers, but we're around 275,000 members and growing. Um we have about 84 people, 85 people who work full time in Arlington. The rest are all volunteers who run those other 121 chapters. And basically our, our mission in life is, you know, we're the voice for the army. So, you know, what the army wants to say, but can't say, we say it for them, whether it be on the hill, um, and focus areas that we, fo- that we concentrate on. And it's usually in support of what the army's initiatives are. And so it's the soldier and the family and, and the DA civilians. It's, you know, it's everybody who makes up, uh, the army's, you know, department of, I wouldn't say department of defense, but the army's piece of that. And, um, we have various, um, sections within AUSA. So we have an education team and their focus is on, you know, authors who write about the military. We, we have our own publishing thing where we publish books. Um, we write, uh, land power essays. We have people, authors who, who write stuff in for us. Um, NCO soldier programs, which is where I'm at. Well, the title kind of explains itself. We focus on the soldier, uh, what we can do to, to help the soldier out to better their life, uh, with professional development forums, recognition programs. Um, and then the families, it's the same thing. You know, how can we support the family? Um, food insecurity. I'm sure you've all heard about that. A big thing in the military or in the army right now. I would, I would say it probably got across all branches. So what we did is we donated a million dollars to army emergency relief. And what we'll do there is just one of the things that we do. So if a soldier is having trouble or struggle a little bit and they go to army emergency relief to get a loan, if they take three classes on finance, you know, finance management, then we will cover their loan. Right. We'll, we'll pay it off for them. Um, so instead of just giving them fish, if you will, you know, they'll saying, you know, instead of giving you fish, I'll teach you how to fish. As long as you could take those. Cause a lot of times, you know, it's, um, you know, young soldiers out there, right. You know, they're, they're really not, you know, they're having a little struggle managing their funds. Right. So a little education along the way, um, to help them teach them a little bit better how to manage their funds and we'll pay their loan off for them. Uh, but those are the types of things that AUSA does. You know, we, whatever we can do that we feel will have a significant impact on the soldier or the family, um, or in, in some cases, uh, those, those civilians, you know, that's what we're there for, you know. And uh, if they go on the website, AUSA.org, you can take a look. There's a, a tremendous amount of benefits of being a member. Um, we also produce an award-winning Army magazine. We took it over from the Army. A lot of people think the Army produces that. Nope, AUSA does. You know, um, so it, it's, uh, it's a great organization. Um, 
glad to be part of it. It's a good way to give back, right, to an army that gave me so much. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and, and you get out there and still get to stay connected with the troops. So, yeah, it's, it's a good organization. Yeah, and I mean, the Army is just, you know, it's so big, right? You know, and, and, and it yeah. has to be about the people, right? It's, you know, a million people or, you know, what I, you know, I don't right. even know what the numbers yeah. are now, but, you know, it's it's a lot That's of close. people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you think in the context for, you know, those of us here in Canada, you know, our military is maybe 60,000, 70,000, depending on where it's at, right? Just the Army, so not including the Air Force, the Marines, you know, and uh, right. yeah. and the Navy, right, you know, you know is a million. Right. You know, and, and so you can only imagine um, the scope and scale of of, you know, like any crisis, it hits that organization, you know, whether it's education or food insecurity or, right. you know, and it's about and that's why I always say, you know, it's train, 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 you know, is that kind of that mantra. Right. You know, is is you got to take care of those people. And, um, you know, so next I'll you know, pivot from the people, you know, important stuff and and uh, for sure. But, you know, interested in your context on maybe the military landscape today, you know, from a land perspective. But I suppose I should preface it with what I found over my years is I've spent most of my career actually supporting the U.S. military, even as, as a Canadian. I've, yes. I've done far more projects and far more work in the U.S. Um, than I have in Canada, just the, the nature probably of my mentors. Um, so I've ended up uh, south of the border, which have, uh, I consider a privilege, to be honest. And um, But one of the things that's unique about the U.S. Army is compared to other militaries, and, and Canada being one of those examples, is uh, it's not. It's really the U.S. Army slash military, right? Because they have boats right. and they have planes and they have, yes. you know, it used to be they, they have more more planes than the Air Force and, and you know, more ships the Navy. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so you truly is a, a complex force, right? And complex yeah. force structure when you think of, of what you got to do isn't, you know, here in Canada, you know, the helicopters aren't, you know, run by the Army, right? They're run by the Air Force. And so you have these these differences that I think makes it only more impressive, but also complicated. So, you know, yeah. in this, in this, uh, you know, there's two questions. You know, one was when COVID hit, as a people-based organization deployed all over the globe with the necessity to have a footprint and travel, how did we even deal with that? And then the second question is, and where's technology fit these days, you know, as, as, uh, as space and, and kind of all the stuff you read about in the newspaper, you know, what do you see as someone who's been, you know, a member of the land force for a long, long time, what kind of strikes your eye these days? Well, uh, to your first question about COVID, um, you know, what the army did was, Kind of middle, like you know, people got to move, right? Um, that's the nature of the beast of being in the military. It used to be you, you rotate every two to three years, you were moving somewhere. Um, but they slowed that down a little bit during COVID. Um, kept people, delayed their PCS moves, um, delayed even going into, into schools, as in, and then moved to doing a lot of that online, um, to protect the people, right? You know, it, it's, you know, air travel was kind of restricted. And, and even when we started moving out of COVID and trying to get into doing events in person, um, it was a vaccine mandate. You know, you, everybody must be vaccinated or you can't attend, right? Uh, don't serve any food. Um, you know, they, they, they took a lot of the, what the Army felt was necessary precautions during that time frame to minimize, um, you know, a massive outbreak in the military. You know, not that not that they didn't have their share of it, um, but you know, uh, it, it they, they contained it somewhat, if you will, by just slowing everything down as far as PCS moves and in-person type events. Um, they just kind of nipped all that in the bud for a little while, and you know, it, it, which I think paid off in the long run. Right? It may have delayed things, or you may have gotten delayed to go to school, but at the end, like right now today. I mean, they're 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 aggressively going at it, 
to get people into schools and, and get people moved around. And I, and I think, I think it's pretty much leveled out uh, now, which is good. Um, as far as the army and, and the way forward with technology, there's, there's so many things out there that, that it may, it may just make your head spin, you know, on, on some of the new innovative technology that doing in the AI world, um, robotics, you know, um, they, it's just, amazing some of the th- uh, that they got going on they're getting into updating the new uh, individual weapon systems and uh, and, and um, getting a lot of things in to um, unmanned area you know, right uh, which is kind of cool um, and I'm looking forward really to seeing what they bring this year you know that's a great thing about that show is the intent is to get industry to link up with the army leadership, you know, and, and see what is available out there. What, what is industry bringing um, that will help the soldier on the battlefield? So um, kind of excited to see, uh, see what they bring. It's an amazing show. You know, I remember, you know, to me, it's a bit like CES or the the consumer electronics show in Vegas each year in January. It's kind of like the army version of that, right? You know, yeah. people come there to show off, you know, what's new, what's amazing and, and spend some big bucks. Like I'll never remember as talking to a guy from Finna Mechanica, you know, and they had a big booth, two story booth, you know, it was like bigger than some people's houses. I thought, and I'm like, how much money did you guys spend on this booth? And he's like, I think it was like a million and a half, two million bucks, right? Like I'm at on a, on a trade show booth. Yeah, right? like you know, a temporary trade show booth. The people are spending, you know, great six, Those seven days. figures easy. Oh yeah, um, but it's a uh, but it's a cool show and it does good things. And certainly from a context air perspective, we expect to be there in twenty twenty three. You know, we're going to make that push into into DoD next year. You know, we've kind of we're we're just starting up an Air Force pilot here, and and we've done some commercial business as well. So, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're you've got all your ducks in a row and you're going to engage with with DoD. It's a big market, but you know, there's um, with with a big market and a huge opportunity come expectations. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, we need to ensure that we can, we can deliver on those and um, yeah, I can't wait for it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I'd say one of the highlights of my career has been this weird set of circumstances that led me to, to you know, kind of work in the U S military, you know, environment for, you know, a couple of decades. And so I feel pretty fortunate to that. And I have the, some pretty uh, cool keepsakes that are, you know, awesome when you show visual artifacts on a podcast, I'm sure people love it. So I'll have to uh, have to describe it, but I was looking through again and I keep these on my desk. So I think of Troy often, um, not in a creepy way, in a way, because there's, uh, <laughs> uh, there's coins, these coins. So one of the ones I was like, Oh, oh. some of the crazy places that we've been like, so oh, oh, stupid background. So that, is from Fort Bliss. So it says, you know, uh, Air Defense Artillery Center in Fort Bliss, Texas. So I remember we went there. Yes. Because you, were, uh, you uh, were close with the command sergeant major there. And uh, and so we got that cool coin. And I remember uh, some good Mexican when we were in Fort Bliss, yes. which is, uh, you know, in the remote part of Texas. And I also remember they wouldn't let us cross the bridge into what's that city where? Oh, know, Juarez. Yeah, Juarez. They're like, uh, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to go in Juarez, right? Don't you just pay 50 cents to go across the bridge? They're like, Yeah. Um, you're probably gonna, you know, if you want to come back with all your parts, maybe, maybe right, skip yeah. that part of the journey. <laughs> so I was like, Roger that. We'll just, uh, we'll go get some Mexican, which right, was, yeah, was super good. Yeah. And then I went into a, um, 
an enchilada related uh, coma and uh, we called it a trip <laughs> and then, but but troy will be had to know i have to sh- i'll have to turn off my background so you know for those listening of course you know i'm showing this this cool coin um and it's uh and maybe troy you could try that it's a great tradition and you see it sometimes stolen in other industries but what is that you know the the coins that i that i am quite i feel quite privileged to have on my desk maybe a, a quick backdrop on that while i figure out how to show you the one my favorite so the, the, the challenge coin, right? So yeah. um, a lot of commanders, right, you know, uh, and sergeants major will have their own coin that they give to soldiers for excellence, right? So, you know, whether you're like the soldier of the quarter or maybe you've done something great in your field or you, you did, you know, you were the hero of the day, if you will, if you're out in the training exercise, uh, you know, the SAR major will go up and, you know, and coin people, as they say. And, and it's a, it's a handshake. You just don't hand it to them. You got to do it in a handshake, you know? Um, and the, and the premise of that is, so if I see you and we're out at the club somewhere and I challenge you, like I show you my coin and you don't have your coin, well, then I got to buy you a beer, right? You know, so, um, it's kind of how it is. Uh, uh, that tradition has kind of went away of the, of the challenging for the beer type thing, but, but the coin is still alive and well, and it's usually presented to somebody for excellence or, you know, it's done great things for the military or done, you know, uh, so it's not just an army, you know, a, mm-hmm. a green suitor thing, right? And give it to civilians and DOD civilians and so on. So, yeah. So pretty cool, pretty cool, uh, things been around for many, many years. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool tradition. I think uh, yeah. you know, in the way that you receive it, sometimes you're not expecting it, right? So right. You, know, you just you shake hands, and next thing you know, there's a coin in your hand. There's a coin in your hand. hand. Yeah, exactly. And I still, you know, you'll you'll uh, you know, you've trained me well, Troy. So I still travel with at least one of my challenge coins uh, in go. my bag, and uh, <laughs> and when I go to business meetings, if they're military related, I will have it uh, available and presented. Which apparently, maybe I'm just cheap. I don't want to buy people beer. I actually like buying people beer. I don't know. Why I, do. <laughs> I just, I guess, I hate losing more than I like buying people beer. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, but maybe you know, no better way to to uh, to to close the podcast on my favorite challenge coin of all time is uh, is right here. Oh yeah, the Army G Force our major coin, yeah, and Commander coin, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For for, for excellence, there must be some mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that was before he knew me very well. Like, yeah. Um, but my favorite well, part, and I, you know, I won't tell you so is the back, but I'll read, and I think is a great way to fit. So it's, this is my favorite, and and Troy, you'll be had to know is Jack is continually our, my son Jack, who's who's ten years old, is continually trying to steal this one. He thinks because he loves all the coins that I've, I've so I have. Uh, I've been lucky enough to get a few over the years. You know, he loves all my coins, but this is his like by far favorite. And he's like threatened to buy it. You know, he's going to wear it. There's a variety of things uh, where I find it in my room. You tell Jack, I got one coming his way. Oh, nice. And 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 then you're going to be like, I won't be able to get him out of your house when we come stay. (laughs) So on the back is the warrior ethos, which he also loves. And, uh, and I love, and and for those, you know, who don't know, so on here and in print that you can read, it's not easy to get it on there, but you know, on the left-hand side beside soldier, you know, always place the mission uh, first. And on the right-hand side, never leave a fallen comrade. And on the very bottom, never accept defeat, never quit. Right. And say, so, you know, I find that still inspirational to this day. And, uh, and so does Jack. Um, and so it's a pretty cool thing. And, uh, and all to say, I, uh, I feel pretty privileged to have this coin because it means that you gave it to me. And it means that I know you and been fortunate enough to kind of work alongside with and now as a colleagues in the industry at large, uh, feel, feel very privileged and, and really appreciate that you took some time to talk to us. 
Well, you know, um, Steve, a little bit, if I could, just, sure. just a couple of minutes about Gabe. Um, you know, when I first met Gabe, uh, I immediately kind of took a liking to him. And the reason why is because of his passion uh, for what he was doing and what he wanted to do to help the Army, right, or the, the military at large, but mainly the Army. Um, and that friendship has, has, has grown over the years. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's funny because I tell people all the time, you know, I, I talk about game all the time. And I tell them, I said, here's this guy who lives in Canada, who's never served in the military, but his heart was always there, right? And his passion was always there. And how can you not gravitate to a guy like that, right? You know, so so as a as a guy who spent 30 years in the Army, um, to meet a civilian from another, you know, North America, right? You know, I, 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 I have a hard time saying Canada is a foreign country, but, you know, it's our brothers in the North. Um, to have that much passion about wanting to do great things and be involved with the U.S. military, people look at me and go, really? I said, oh, yeah, well, you, you'd have to meet this guy. You know, um, one of a kind, him and his family. Great people, and I'm honored to be part of this. So thank you very much for having me, and it's it's been really good seeing you again. Well, we do like to before we let people go because uh, it's just something we like to do that uh, we send our listeners away with some advice from our excellent guests, and uh, we'd like to ask you the question: Is there a, a lesson you've learned along the way that maybe you wish you knew sooner in the game? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of lessons I wish I would have learned earlier. Um, uh, I would tell you, uh, the one thing I did learn along the way is, um, and actually it's, it says it on that coin, right? You know, never accept defeat, right? Um, it was one of those things that um, I had instilled in me very early on in my career. And the folks who trained me were from the Vietnam era, right? You know, and so. You know, they have always told me when you, you know, you're getting out there and we, we trained in the field a lot, you know, and the field is going out in the woods, right, and training in, in, in the field. Um, and when it when it really gets tough and you just want to toss in the towel, right, sometimes, because it can get that way, it's miserably cold, raining, whatever, right, um, is that's when you really want to keep pushing harder, right? Um, and so I, I learned that early on. And I wish I probably would have paid more attention to that early on than I did later in my career, right? Um, not that I not that I accepted defeat, but maybe I wish I would have pressed a little harder in, in other areas, right? Or maybe I could have done a little bit more for my soldiers at a certain period in my career. Right? You always think you could do more. And so I look back on my career a lot and say, did I do enough? You know, did I really do enough? Um, I think Army's in good hands, but you know, I still think, you know, I think every leader when they leave probably asks himself that same question. Did I do enough? You know, um, did I learn that earlier on in my career where it was, you know, just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. You know, did I do that? You know, did I keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing? So uh, kind of hard to say. Right. Okay. That's a great one to to leave uh, folks off with. And uh, Troy Welch is with the Association of the United States Army, AUSA.org. 
And Troy, it sounds like not only really important work, but gratifying work as well. We we thank you so much for being with us in this episode and uh, take care of yourself. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Gabe. Talk to you later. So that'll do it for this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Be sure to join us for other episodes of Ingenuity Amplified by Context Air. Our goal is always that you'll leave every episode with at least one new idea or inspiration that causes you to do something different today. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever podcast or whatever podcast app you like best. And uh, there's always an easy link at contextair.com. On behalf of Gabe and everyone at Context Air, thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next time.